0: Have you ever wished that you'd been alive when Jesus walked the earth? You know, that you actually heard the Sermon on the Mount, that you witnessed the miracles, that you ate the loaves and the fish. Have you ever wondered how that might have affected your faith? You know, we generally assume it would be far easier to believe in Jesus if we had actually seen him. You know, how could anyone deny what they saw with their own eyes? Surely it's harder for us to believe than it was for them. We only get to read about it. But surprisingly, the vast majority remained spiritually blind even in the presence of light. How, how can that be possible? How could they have been so blind? Well, our text for today is going to answer that question by revealing three things that blinded people in Jesus' day and surprisingly Those same, or not surprisingly, those same three things can keep us in the dark as well. And the first thing we're going to see is that people can be blinded by previous beliefs. We're in John, the 12th chapter. The multitude therefore answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness did not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man over 80 times in the Gospels. It was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He seldom referred to himself as the Son of God. It was just too politically explosive. But the Jewish people knew that the Son of Man was a title for the Messiah. You know, in the Old Testament, Son of Man generally referred to an ordinary man. But Daniel was given a vision of the Messiah and described him as one like a Son of Man. He wasn't a Son of Man, but was like a Son of Man. Obviously, that was an indication that the Messiah would look like a man but would be more than a man, that he would, in fact, be God in human form. So after Daniel's vision, the Son of Man was recognized by almost the whole Jewish nation as a messianic title. But Jesus had just said that the Son of Man would be glorified by being lifted up from the earth, and they knew he was talking about death about a crucifixion that certainly did not fit in with their expectations of the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would live and reign forever. And they had the scriptures to prove it. The prophet Isaiah had written, "...for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders." Speaking of the Son of Man, Daniel had said, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Ezekiel even quoted God as saying, And my servant David Will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. And they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now the Jews took these texts literally. And they were expecting an eternal physical reign in Jerusalem. They weren't sure how this new David would manage to live forever, but they surely didn't expect him to die on a cross. It just didn't make sense to them for Jesus to be talking about dying. The Messiah they were expecting to overthrow the Romans and set up the kingdom they had been waiting for and had believed in for hundreds of years. But Jesus spoke of a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom, a kingdom that would be located in the hearts of God's people, and that would require the Son of Man to be lifted up, to be offered as a sacrifice To cleanse people of their sins. Because only after being cleansed could they be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and made a part of the kingdom of God. Now, that's not the kind of kingdom the Jews were looking forward to, and not what they were expecting from the Son of Man. So they asked, Who is this Son of Man? The Son of Man Jesus was talking about was not the one they were expecting. The Son of Man they were looking for would never die. Jesus was teaching something that didn't align with their beliefs, something they had been led to believe the Scriptures taught. So they rejected him and his claim to be the Son of Man. His only response was a warning. That if they didn't accept the light he was revealing, they would find themselves in darkness, and the light would soon be gone. If they didn't believe in him and become sons of light, they would remain lost in the darkness of sin, ignorance, and misunderstanding forever. Their beliefs were blinding them to the light and to the source of light that was literally standing in front of them. And they couldn't see it because they had been taught something that differed from what he was teaching. And they did not want to have to reexamine their beliefs. That is still a problem today. There are lots of teachers authors, and preachers out there, and their teachings often differ. If you've been taught something and are then told that what you've been taught is wrong, what do you do? Do you ignore the contradiction or give it due consideration? You know, we're not to be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we must be ever willing to re-examine our beliefs in the light of a possibly more accurate understanding. And that means we may have to rethink something we thought was taught in God's Word. The majority of the Jews living in Jesus' day weren't willing to do that. So he drew his public ministry to a close on the Tuesday evening of the last week of his life, and departed, leaving them in the dark. He hid from them and spent the remaining two days privately teaching his disciples. The Jews had been blinded by their previously held beliefs, but that wasn't all that blinded them. John goes on to make it clear that they had also been blinded by hardness of heart. Let's read on. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Now, in spite of the many signs Jesus performed, miracles that should have Amply demonstrated who he was, the majority did not believe in him. That rejection, however, was not unexpected. God's people had been rejecting his spokesman for hundreds of years. When Isaiah was commissioned to preach, he was told that the people would not accept his message. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. It's a strange passage, isn't it? Through his preaching, Hearts would become insensitive, ears would become dull, and eyes would become dim. What an encouraging thing to say to a young preacher. But God is a realist. He knew how the people would respond. He knew that most would reject his messenger. They always had. Now, that didn't free Isaiah from the responsibility of preaching. It just helped him get ready for the disappointing response. In the fifth chapter of Isaiah, we discover that the people had already rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and that they despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So while they might listen to Isaiah's message, they would not perceive its meaning. They might look, but they wouldn't understand. It was too late for them. Their hearts were hard. And they were going to get harder. In fact, when John applies this scripture to the generation that rejected Jesus, he indicates that God actually blinds eyes and hardens hearts. Now that does not mean God arbitrarily prevents some from seeing and understanding the truth. It simply means that if you continue to reject God's word, there may come a point when God will wash his hands of you, when he will put blinders on you and cap off your hardened heart. When that happens, all hope is gone. You'll lose the ability to ever believe. Your condemnation will be sealed, and it won't be God's fault. It'll be yours. When Paul quotes this scripture from Isaiah in Acts 28, he makes it clear that people start the process of hardening by the choices they make. And the hardening of Pharaoh's heart confirms this to be so. Now, 15 times in Exodus, we read of Pharaoh's hard heart. And God does tell Moses that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But we also read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God simply took a hard heart and hardened it further and then used it to his glory. That should be a warning to us. If, like Pharaoh, we harden our heart when God speaks, God may harden it further. And we may then find ourselves unable to respond to God's message at all. That happened to many of the Jews in Jesus' day. And it helps explain their blindness in the presence of light. John then gives us one more insight into the cause of spiritual blindness. He points out how some were blinded by their desire for the approval of men. John continues, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees They were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. You know, it wasn't that no one believed in Jesus. Many did. Even some of the Jewish rulers believed in Jesus. But they were afraid to go public with their belief. They were afraid to confess Jesus as Lord. They knew there were consequences to belief, and they weren't ready to accept them. So while they could see the truth in what Jesus was saying, they did nothing about it. Among those who became secret disciples were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They were actually members of the Sanhedrin, the Council of Seventy, that convicted Jesus. Now, I doubt that they voted for his execution, but they certainly did not put their reputations and positions on the line in his defense. John notes that they, and many others, loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. What a devastating indictment. Could that ever be true of us? Do we ever let the thoughts of those around us keep us silent about what God is saying to us? You know, I'm sure there are times when our actions are more dictated by those around us than they are by God. We've got to be very careful not to allow what others think to take precedence over what God thinks. If we get to the point where we love the approval of men rather than the approval of God, we are in big trouble. Fortunately, Nicodemus and Joseph came to their senses before it was too late. When they saw Jesus lifted up on the cross, they broke their silence. They even went to Pilate and asked permission to take the body of the one off the cross who would become their Savior. I think they discovered that no one can remain a secret disciple for long because secrecy kills discipleship or discipleship kills the secrecy. What's happening in our life? Is our hesitancy to speak the truth affecting our obedience to the truth? Are we being silenced by fear? Or are we coming so into conviction of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross that we can remain silent no longer. We've got to tell people who he is and what he did and what he offers to them. I pray that our discipleship will keep our faith ever visible, ever out in front of our neighbors and our friends and even our enemies that they may see who we are and what we believe and in whom we believe. If that doesn't happen, we may find ourselves seeking the approval of men more than God's. And that can lead us to total spiritual blindness. We will ignore the truth because we know what obedience to the truth will cost us. You know, Jesus came to be the light of the world and to make us into sons of light. And he can do that. If we are willing to reexamine our beliefs in the light of more accurate understandings of God's word, don't, don't refuse to listen don't refuse to get into the word. Don't refuse to, to think through something that maybe you assumed was true, but now you're being told maybe isn't. Don't blind yourself to the fact that God continues to reveal his will to us through his word and through his spokesman. Now, again, we're not to be tossed to and fro We're not to be so unstable that everything we read on Google is accepted to be true. We have a base foundation of truth, and we understand that. But a lot of the details, maybe we've been taught some things that aren't quite so. The Jews of Jesus' day thought they understood who the Messiah was to be and what he was to do. And when Jesus said, no, that's not right, they turned their back on him. May we never get to the place where we hold to some faulty doctrine so tightly that we close off the truth about Jesus and who he is to those around us and to ourselves. Sometimes we have to reexamine our beliefs. And then we've got to make sure we keep our hearts soft and responsive to his word. Don't just close up and say, I got it all. Don't bother me with the truth. I don't want to hear any more. Keep your heart soft. Keep it responsive. So God, through His Spirit, can continue to speak to you. And then obviously, don't desire the approval of our culture more than you want to honor God. It appalls me. The number of churches, the number of preachers who are drinking the, the Kool-Aid of our culture, who think that in order to be seeker-sensitive, they have to sound like the seeker belief. Huh. That's not true. We've got to stand firm on the truth. We want God's approval more than the approval we might get from a newspaper article that someone says, wow, what a great church that is. I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's not be blind in the presence of the light. Let's come to the light because it's shining for us. Let's stand.